for our gospel reading. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 24, beginning at the 36th verse. To you, Lord Jesus Christ. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and the other will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Lord, may the words that come from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, despite my Grinch-like comments over the last few weeks telling people who put up their Christmas decorations too early to go home and take them down and put them up back up again today, I actually really do love Christmas. I always have. And this year, our theme leading up to Christmas is even more Christmas. And as um, we're beginning uh, our season of Advent, uh, we're looking today at even more hope. My reason for loving Christmas um, has changed as I've got older. It changed after I became a parent, but it has changed the most since I've become a church leader. As a child, I remember the anticipation of Christmas morning, struggling to get to sleep and hoping that I might catch a glimpse of Santa Claus. One year, I swear, I heard Santa's bells ringing in the early hours. I remember actually waking up my parents and saying, can you hear it? Can you hear it? And they promptly told me to go back to bed. In hindsight, uh, considering where I was living at the time, it was probably cicadas chirping. Um, But for me, it sounded like Santa's bells. As a new parent, I remember living vicariously through the wonder and the excitement I could see in my child unwrapping their presents and getting swept up into the magic of Christmas. But as a church leader, things are very different. I'm acutely aware 
that for many, Christmas has become a veneer that we place over the realities that we deal with. The struggle, the pain, heartache, loss, anxiety, depression and hopelessness that we can experience in our everyday lives. Being a bit older, I now have some of those experiences myself. I have lost. I have failed. And I still don't know all of the answers. One of the reasons that I still love Christmas so much is because I get to lead people like you to demonstrate the real hope of Christmas. And that is the hope that I find in Jesus. I don't take for granted the privilege of seeing our church swell beyond its capacity. I spend more time than I usually do preparing one of my shortest sermons of the year. I get ultra fastidious about logistics, which I'm sure drives the other church staff absolutely nuts. And as Christmas approaches, I get less and less sleep because I wake in the early hours of the day, morning buzzing with the adrenaline pumping through my body. It might be the way that I've learnt to cope with only having a couple of hours sleep between the midnight service and the Christmas Day service, but it also helps me make sure that I get all the work I need to get done before uh, it's due. I'm under absolutely no illusion that the vast majority of the people who turn up to our Christmas services haven't been to church since either Easter or Christmas last year. But that's what I love the most. I actually hope that we have more people who don't normally come to church this year than we did last year. And I hope that there is far more of them than there is of those who come most weeks. It's not that I don't want you to come. I do want you to come. Please come to Christmas or at least go to somewhere else if you're traveling. But Christmas is one of the occasions where I don't really care about my church. I care much more about the church. I trust that the 51 weeks of teaching, praying, worshipping, growing and serving has focused you in the same direction that I am on Christmas Day. This is the day where I get to live out most fully my calling to demonstrate that there is life in the Anglican Church, that we can be faithful to our traditions but worship in creative and engaging ways and to play my part in creating a pathway for those who have, had, who have found a disconnection with the church and to offer them a reconnection to show that while the church may have struggled for relevance, Jesus has not. That's my hope each Christmas now. But I do realise that even more Christmas isn't everybody's idea of hope. 
Yesterday, I got a ring on our doorbell um, and walked up to find an Australia Post delivery man dropping off a parcel. And I said to him casually to make conversation, so you've started Saturday deliveries already? And he looked at me blankly and said, this is the fifth week of Saturday deliveries. It used to only be four. I could see by the look in his face that even more Christmas wasn't his idea of hope, let alone Australia's uh, recent adoption to Black Friday sales. If Christmas has become a veneer for many, I wonder whether hope has as well. Today's Gospel reading doesn't scream out hope. You'd be forgiven for thinking that I'd picked the wrong reading for the first Sunday of Advent. There's nothing in that passage that looks like the hope that we see on the Christmas cards or the hope that is printed on the banner at the back of our church. The church throughout its history has approached Advent as a time of deep reflection on Jesus. Jesus who was, Jesus who is, and Jesus who is to come. We try to understand and we try to be challenged by Christ's coming in history, Christ's coming in mystery, and Christ's coming in majesty. And it's from dwelling on readings like the one that we've had this morning that the church has uncovered the theme of hope. And that theme is now synonymous with the first Sunday in Advent. But when Advent is given nice little weekly themes, it does risk domesticating the radical nature of these readings that we hear at this time of year. Every year, on the first Sunday of Advent, the Gospel reading comes from either Matthew, Mark or Luke, set in Jerusalem, after Jesus has left the temple, predicted the temple's destruction, and been asked by the disciples about when and how the prediction will be fulfilled. It's not very Christmassy, is it? It's not very hopeful. Church history is littered with the corpses of failed end times predictions. In large part because interpreters have failed to heed or understand the warning in verse 36. But about the day and the hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Matthew 24 is not calling Jesus' followers to engage in prediction. They are called to a type of hope. When Jesus calls his disciples to keep awake, to understand this, to be ready, he calls them and now us to shape our lives as if we are living in hope. 
one of the promises of Advent is that God's future is in breaking into our present. In Matthew's Gospel, the arrival of the kingdom disrupts the ordinary, the daily, the routine, such as grinding meal together. Life carries on as usual, at least until Jesus turns up. Mary's miraculous and holy pregnancy interrupts the normal procedures of engagement and family making. John the Baptist's ministry is interrupted and reshaped by Jesus' arrival. When Jesus first calls his disciples, he disrupts them as they cast their nets into the sea. When Jesus shows up, it often interrupts us like a thief in the night. Jesus' arrival is also relationally disruptive and even divisive. In the case of this reading this morning, it's literally true. Two women will be grinding meal and one will be taken and the other will be left. According to Matthew 24, in the days leading up to the flood, the normal patterns of life just continued. Eating, drinking, procreating. Life was normal. There was no indication of any impending doom. But if you have read that part of Genesis between the chapters of 6 and 9, that you'll recognize beneath the thin crust of normalcy raged a torrential epidemic of corruption and violence. For the Gospel of Matthew, the Son of Man's apocalyptic arrival exposes things for what they are. And Matthew's gospel goes to war against complacency. After about 2,000 years of reflecting on this, the church has decided to call this hope. Hope. Seems a bit odd, doesn't it? As much as we might find light relief by watching them, life is not a sitcom. See, in a sitcom, everything starts off all happy, but then something happens. There's some sort of problem or some sort of tension. But in 30 minutes, it's worked out, it's resolved or problem solved, and at the end of the 30 minutes, everybody's happy again. I'm not sure about your experience of life, but mine has clearly taught me that life is rarely a sitcom. In life, sometimes you lose your job and you don't get a better job. Sometimes you have problems in your marriage and they can't be worked out. Sometimes someone says something so hurtful that it breaks a friendship or a family. 
sometimes you get cancer and find that after treatment it goes into remission only to find a few years later that it comes back more aggressively than it was before. Sometimes we pray for rain in the right places and it does not come. When we chose our theme for this year, Seek First, Find Hope, it was around about this time last year. And uh, Dale and I sat in a room with uh, Graham Leo, who somewhat prophetically said that he felt that 2019 would be a really hard year for many. As we sat beside his wife's hospital bed a couple of weeks ago, I reminded him of that. It has become very true in his own life and his own family. In a world that wants us to veneer over the real, the hard, the ugly, the painful, the confusing, and the things that we preferred that nobody knew about, the inbreaking of Jesus into our present exposes things for how they really are. And this is the birthplace of hope. Not because that's where all the bad stuff is. It is because this is where we find Jesus. It has been said that the difference between bad news and good news is where you happen to be standing when you get the news. I like to think it's who you're standing with when you get it. As a church, we are called to partner with Christ in bringing hope that brings light to dark places. We are called to places where justice has not yet been found. Places where hunger and thirst have not yet been quenched. Places where children die of senseless violence. Places where the planet is not yet being treated with respect. Dark places right here in Rabina to prayerfully, practically and financially be in other dark places in our world. We are called to become a church that makes a difference in places such as these. If we show this to those who come here this Christmas, show them what hope is really like how it exposes what is really there and how we find Jesus with us. If we demonstrate how impactful it has been in our lives, we might just find that through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through us, that they might realise how impactful it can be in their lives. And they may even join us in this work of hope.
And that's what I'm hoping for this Christmas. Let us pray. Lord, as we cry out to you for even more hope, help us to remove the veneer that we put on as a protection. And we feel like we have to put on a happy face when all you ask of us is to come as we are. Meet us in our darkness and shine your light of hope. Be with us in that darkness as we await for that light to grow brighter. Not always because things get better, but always because you are with us. And the people of God call together in our flickering lights that are the candles in our lives might collect together to become an amazing spotlight of hope in our world. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen.